we have to have a thick skin. We have to go from call that may not be the greatest to a great call. And so we have to reset ourselves like goldfish and we have to not take things personally. Hey, Jen, welcome to the Get In The Mode podcast. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Great. Hey, uh, Jen, for the benefit of our listeners, why don't you give us a little bit of, of your, you know, your intro, your background. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm one of those weird people who've been in the customer experience, customer service space my entire career. Started working in a contact center in high school and just kind of got hooked for solving problems and, and talking to people. I have done everything post-sales from professional services to customer success, customer support, tier one, tier two, from leadership to supervisor, and a lot of different industries. Some of the, the big box folks like Dell and Apple. And you know, during the Katrina era, I was working in disaster recovery. Then I stepped into the healthcare EMR space, MarTech, and about probably five or seven years ago, really found my niche in the contact center space since you know, it's what I've lived and breathed my whole career. So I like to say I've been doing customer success before customer success was success. So uh, I just recently joined Dialpad in May of this year as their um, VP of customer experience, really bringing together all of their post-sales customer-facing teams and working on providing that end-to-end consistent customer experience. So no matter which one of our groups they're working with, they really have kind of the same customer first, let's roll up our sleeves, get it done kind of focus and really helping educate the business and and work through the business and help them think of customer first when they're making their decisions. We're moving and growing really, really fast. And so it was a great time to kind of jump in and and, uh, help elevate the customer voice. Tell us a little bit about Dialpad before I dive into some questions uh, in your focus area. So perhaps if you can give us a brief overview of what Dialpad does. Dialp has this great kind of combination of UCAS and CCAS where, you know, instead of having to go get, you know, a telecom vendor and a contact center vendor separately and, you know, a meeting vendor, you can have one provider that provides, you know, meetings, contact center solution, telecom solution. So it really brings that total collaborative communication together for both internal communications and external with customers. And so, I think the term we use is TrueCAS, meaning we can connect you end-to-end with your customers from the telephony to the channels that make sense and how you engage with your customers. That's awesome. You know, these sort of solutions are much needed these days, right? As whether you're in a hybrid environment or a remote environment, certainly solving a problem that is very much needed. Now, from a customer experience perspective, tell us a little bit about your focus areas, perhaps Start with, you know, what you've seen traditionally overall, what's been the area of focus for customer experience leaders in the past. Then you, the second part could be like, is your focus area a dial pad? I would say customer experience leaders, and, and that really encompasses anybody, you know, post sales with customer teams is trying to really figure out how to take care of our customers during this pandemic era where you know, some teams who may have been in office are all fully remote. And how do we use the tools to still provide that intimate, really good experience that I think consumers are used to getting. And so I think right now, 
folks are looking at, are we using the right tools? Do we have the right processes and policies in place to support our customer-facing teams to make sure that they're taking care of our customers? Do our customers feel like they can still get the same level of support from us now in this different work model than they were getting before that? You know, And in some cases, even better. I think those have been like primary focuses. How do we also adjust our staffing models to accommodate for flex schedules, folks with childcare needs, and some of the accommodations that we've just had to make for, you know, humans working in this industry and, and making sure that we have the right staffing levels to make sure our service levels are still where they need to be. For me, coming into Dialpad, really what I've been focusing on is I'm a whole maybe four months in, so naturally I know everything. But I've just been going like end to end, following a deal through the sales cycle, different groups, really trying to understand a customer's journey as well as my team's journey and how do they interact with the customers? How do they engage with different departments internally? And and just trying to get a holistic view of how do we service our customers and how do we internally you know, work within the departments? We all know it's not just the customer teams that service the customers. It's everything that falls behind that product, engineering, finance, partnering with marketing. And so really just making sure you have consistency and good flow and open communications internally to help you take care of your customers externally. And so I'd say that's probably been my my focus is just learning and understanding that. Um, I would say I'm kind of at this place where I'm really starting to start implementing some change and how we do some things, introducing some efficiencies and some of the the expertise like I kind of come with and bring. I'm I'm very operationally minded. I tend to think like if we do the same thing three times, can we automate it? Is there a better process? Like, are we using the right tools? And so I really kind of look from the bottom up to see, do we have the right things in place? And then to start kind of, you know, slowly implementing the change so as not to rip band-aids off, boil oceans, whichever, you know, euphemism you'd like to use there. But it's been really exciting. I have a tremendous team of leaders underneath me helping take care of the teams that are customer facing. And so I keep telling everybody like that our end of year is really to just, you know, get super, super efficient and really good at what we do. That's awesome. You know, listening to you, I feel like you're right at the intersection of several different things, right? Number one, kind of post sales, what's the customer experience, the initial onboarding kind of from the time they get onboarded till the time they start experiencing the service. So, you know, then you get into service delivery and then you kind of get into product engineering, like, hey, how can we better our services, you know, better, faster, you know, meet them where the customer is at. And then also, you're also talking about internally, how do we deliver the excellent service that our customers need? You know, you talked a little bit about like almost like a CEO type mindset so that you can operate efficiently with your internal staff to deliver the service excellence that the customer needs. So it's very interesting. You're right right at the intersection and you're perhaps integrating several roles within the organization. And I think, you know, it's very interesting when you kind of talk about all these different areas. Now, I know you've been in uh, Dialpad for about, you know, you mentioned you've been there for four months. You know, I'm sure you started with the CX assessment. Tell us, uh, walk us, you know, through that process of a customer experience assessment. What does that look like? 
for a leader like you? How do you conduct it when you get into a new environment like Dialpad? I have a couple of things that I've kind of done over the years. You know, one of the things is, you know, from our support arms, I look at the channels and how we engage with our customers and I find some way or, you know, some issue that I need help with. And so I'll hop into chat or I'll open a ticket on the web or I'll call and go through, you know, our phone lines just to kind of experience really what a customer would experience kind of going through the process. And that helps me just understand like what is the customer truly experiencing when they're having that moment that they need us and, you know, how are they reaching out to us? You know, I spend a lot of time doing, I would like to say side by sides, but I think it's virtual ride alongs where if our uh, support teams are engaging with customers doing screen shares, you know, I'll just ask, can I sit in and listen? I will tell you, it's so hard for me to be quiet and not be like, why do we do it this way? What is that? So I, I have to definitely make sure that I am muted and can't be unmuted. And, you know, in our services arm, kind of same thing. Like I said, I I write along with a prospect through the sales process, understanding how they engage, what those moments are, how we work with solution engineering. You know, once a contract closes, what's that handoff? Go through a project, sit in every project meeting, understand what the homework is, spend a little time with the customer, just kind of getting their feedback live as they're going through it. And, you know, with the customer success arm of it, you know, I tell our customer success managers from day one, I want to talk to any and every customer that will have me. Good, bad, ugly, doesn't matter. Still a customer, no longer a customer, doesn't matter. Sign me up. I will talk to everybody. I've never met a stranger and I've I've never had an issue carrying a conversation. And, you know, really the first 90 days for me are just gathering so much information and any potential and possible way I can. One of the other things I do internally is, you know, in the support going back there, like once the case is open and how we work through it, should something be identified that needs to move through to the tier two or the tier three or, you know, product engineering, kind of following it through that process to understand what is our process? How do we engage with engineering and product? Because essentially support is engineering's customer. Product is usually the conduit. And we are responsible for messaging to the customer. So we in the support organization have to know the process end to end so we can communicate, buy some time where needed, explain what the process is, and really help customers feel like they have a transparent window into what's happening. It may be frosted glass, but at least they understand, okay, I report an issue, it goes to triage, it gets assigned to engineering, you know. And so it kind of alleviates the thing where you hear folks say things like, oh, support is terrible. And actually, support isn't terrible. They're just dependent on internal groups. So we really try to you know, work out the processes and help the customer understand kind of what we're going through and walk through with it. Gosh, I could go on and on because I spend a lot of time with customers and processes and things like that. This is great. I mean, kind of conducting interviews, you know, sounds like you kind of doing an audit on the demo. And then, you know, kind of going through cases of the past, what a great way to kick off the assessment. You know, you also mentioned if there is something that's repetitive, you would ideally like to automate. Now, that kind of goes into a little bit about, you know, a lot of our listeners are CIOs. They're listening to this and they're hearing, okay, we've got the customer experience office coming and saying, hey, these processes need to be automated or, you know, find ways to be more productive, gain efficiency and things like that. 
How do you see the customer experience officer working with the chief information officer or CTO from a product engineering angle? Can you talk to us about that? How, what's been your process in the past? What's worked well? What's perhaps some advice you would give to other customer experience folks? I will say you need to have a really good relationship with your counterparts. And the reason why is oftentimes we get so busy on the mission that's in front of us that we don't stop and realize it's a larger part of a larger initiative. You know, so, you know, a CI or a CTO is responsible for a couple of things. They need to get that innovation delivered. They need to make sure the systems are working in efficiency. They need to keep their costs down operationally. There's just so much that goes into their purview. And in my career, I've spent a lot of time kind of understanding their world, what's important to them, and how that relates to what my business does and kind of how we work together. And, and there's a dependency. We depend on them. We're very much their customers. And so I've kind of taken the mindset that in every new organization I walk into, I make it a point to spend some time with them, get to know them, who they are as a human, what's important to them as a leader, what initiatives they're driving through their business, and you know how do they engage? How do they engage with my organization? How do they engage with others? You know, in some places where there is no engagement, I can bring in some best practices and I can work into that slowly so it's not disruptive to both. For instance, if there was an engineering and product team that was just working so hard on innovation and doing all the right things for prospects, that's where I get to come in and say, hey, you were doing a really good job bringing customers, but we also have to retain our customers. And an element of retaining our customers is resolving their bugs, making sure they have good performance, making sure they have, you know, a solid voice in our product roadmap and are heard from us as an organization as a trusted part of our market research that we do when we make decisions to innovate. And, you know, it depends on the maturity of the the organization. You know, some folks are startups and they're just like, yeah, sell it, build it, sell it, build it. And I'm just like, but when you sell it, who takes care of it? So it's just kind of like a, hey, these are great things, but let's grow with you and let's make processes to make sure that we can take care of the customers and work through it. One of the great ways that I've been successful in kind of getting buy-in from my counterparts is really, you know, equating a voice of the customer to a value of the customer to a revenue in the business, right? And so not just wow. emotional sentiment that says I don't feel good, but this functionality isn't meeting my business needs, right? And how does that impact us? And then how does that impact our organization? And I think because CI and CTOs are so incredibly smart and logical, kind of bringing out the emotion and really getting down to the data and how that equates into the organization at a higher level. I've had some success with that. I'm going to be honest. I, I think it speaks more to the way that they can interpret and communicate and move through that. And I do not mean to say that these folks are robots. There are some amazing personalities in those, but it's just the way I've been most successful in, in getting partnership. Hey, you might have spilled the gen magic beans right there. That information is so valuable uh, for other customer experience folks out there. Such a great insight. Thank you for that. Let's talk about metrics. You said kind of like customer value, kind of moving the, moving the sentiment from 
you know, almost like kind of saying retention to, you know, what's the value for these customers? What are some certain KPIs or OKRs that you're, you know, wanting to track? Ideally, customer experience officers should track. Can you share some of your experiences? First, there's so many. So I'm going to try not to just rattle off a million. But I will say this. In my experience and working with different levels of organization, you hear a lot about ACV, you know, kind of that annual contract value, ARR, MRR, you know, the monthly revolving and annual revolving. I really like to look at the total value of the customer. And the way that I start that is looking at the initial total value of the contract. Yes, we get a customer. But if we signed that customer for three years, it's not just an ACV value, it's a TCV value. And that feeds into their lifetime value. And so that's kind of our starting point or what I'll call our benchmark. So we start with that number and we build upon it. And so anytime that we're looking to expand the revenue or associated with churn or any of those types of things, we're using that total value number versus that annual because we're really thinking long-term and strategic. We want long-term relationships. And so I really look at our KPIs in that. And so you know, what I'd like to establish from the beginning is, like I said, what you'll hear me call those benchmarks, which is our initial TCV of a customer. And then I want to look at our cost of acquisition of a customer. What is it really costing us to get these customers? If we have segments, obviously, there's some granularity that goes into that. And then what's our cost to retain the customer? I see a lot of folks focus on our cost to acquire less so looking at our cost to retain, because that's when you really look at the teams that are engaged that are required to retain a customer. And those are not just customer teams. Those are engineering teams. Those are product teams. Those are finance teams. Those are you know marketing teams if you are doing some specific things with your base. And so really kind of looking at those two numbers and looking and establishing a lifetime value for your customers gives you a really good picture of what I'll call total value of a customer. And something to be aware of in a lot of the SaaS models, there's a contracted value versus a run rate. And so you have to be mindful of that in some of these SaaS models that have usage models, even though their you know, ACV may be low or TCV may be low, they may actually have a higher run rate just based on the model. And so in addition to having a really good partnership with your technical counterparts, you really have to get have a good relationship with finance. You have to really understand how does your business operate? What's the cost of doing business? What's the cost of the, the service you're providing? And look at those things kind of from a business standpoint. And so I say, you know, at my level, the first thing that I'm trying to do is really understand the cost of the services that we provide to the business. And then I look at the cost of you know, acquiring customers, and then I add in cost of retention. And then I start looking at our tenured customers, what services align with them, and kind of establishing those values. And that's kind of just as a high level measuring my business. Because then you start looking at measuring your growth and your expansion. And you're always looking at two different things. You're looking at customer retention from a numbers in a logo or a gross retention, and then also the net retention, right? What are you doing on the revenue side? Are you retaining your base revenue, growing your revenue? So those are some super important, what I consider kind of baseline foundation before you even start getting into you know, the traditional CSAT, NPS, CES. How do, we, you know, how do our customers feel about doing business with us? 
And then, you know, the churns and the changes and the contractions and things like that. I think those are kind of the baseline that every customer leader kind of starts with. Awesome. Is there ever a time for to let go a customer? If so, when? So that's such a hard one because I'm a little bit of an odd duck in that I would much rather be a super good partner to a customer where it might not be a good fit now, but could potentially be a good fit later, just thinking, putting my strategic cap on. So, you know, if I am meeting with a leader of an organization and we are going through what their business cases are and their needs, and if our product just really isn't doing that, isn't capable of doing that, and isn't going to be able to do that in, you know, six months time, I would much rather have a conversation about how we aren't the right fit and let's help them find the right fit or let's help them transition to where they need to be than forcing a customer to utilize the trying to fit the square peg into the round hole. And I think what that does long term is puts in that good experience to where as the customer may grow, if their business needs change, if something aligns, they can remember that, hey, we were working with them and it wasn't a really good fit. And they were so great to help us find the right one, like help us transition out. I'd really like to circle back and do that. And I've had that happen a couple of times. I know that's, you know, I don't think any of my finance friends would, would love to hear me say that. But I really think in today's environment with the consumerism and really how small the markets are when you dig into the verticals, I would much rather have a good reputation of really being, you know, relationship first than trying to make a customer fit into that. And so I've had to have, you know, some sensitive conversations around that where I've I've had to advocate for the customer into the business to say, guys, it's just isn't a fit. We can't do what they needed to do. And that could be for several reasons. Perhaps the buyer didn't truly understand the needs or, you know, perhaps there were some disconnects and expectations. So many things can happen in that. And, and that's not to point fingers. And, you know, and then there have been some times where we have had customers who have just not been what I consider partners or good actors in the relationship. And it's been a bit more of a, an abusive relationship and where we've really had to stand up and advocate for our folks to say, hey, we understand that something's going wrong and we're trying to help you, but we should all come to the table with respect and we should all respect that we are trying to solve a greater issue here. And no one person in this solution group is responsible for causing whatever situation we've gotten into. And there's had to be some times where we've just had to say, look, we do not want to do business like this anymore and had to negotiate a sensitive exit. I think, you know, I speak for myself and I would venture to say most customer leaders and that our people are our greatest asset. They're our, our number one cannot do business without people. And if our folks feel threatened, abused, and not valued, they're not going to stay. They're going to go find somebody who values them. And so we do ourselves a disservice if we allow customers to abuse our greatest asset. Awesome. Well, final few rapid fire questions for you, Jen. Let's dive in. So What's been a movie that you watch within the last one year that's kind of standing out to you that comes to you right now? And perhaps you can kind of say why. You know, I will say I've watched less and less TV movies in the past year. But I will tell you, if I'm having a bad day and I just my children are growing and I'm, I'm transitioning to empty nest and grandmother status and 
It's a little bit different for me because I've been a mama my whole life. But I tell you what, my go-to movie is Moana because I love the story. I love the music. Hey, is my spirit animal. Like it is just a movie that I truly enjoy. I just think it's an overall feel good movie. Totally. Yeah, I agree. I've seen the visuals myself kind of in passing as my kids watch it. So I couldn't agree more on the on the feel good factor of that movie. So I can relate. You know, you uh, what's you live in Texas. Did you say Austin? Like, what's your number one go to restaurant? I do. I, I live a bit outside of Austin. For sushi, there's this amazing place called Snow Pea. That's probably like my go-to if I want sushi. But I mean, it's Austin. And so I eat Mexican food more than anything else. And Chewy's is, is our number one. That's not like a hole in the wall place. And then anything Italian we can get our hands on. And I secretly love pizza. So <laughs> any pizza find. Now, kind of a side question in terms of like customer success, what's a good skill like for somebody who wants to thrive in customer experience, customer service, customer success, what's sort of like the top two skills that you say they'd have to develop? We have to have a thick skin. We have to go from call that may not be the greatest to a great call. And so we have to reset ourselves like goldfish and we have to not take things personally and realize, you know, oftentimes we're the lighthouse in the storm. So we are helping guide our customers, keeping them off the rocks, helping them navigate the tumultuous waters and get where they need to be. And so having that mentality that resets and then just dives back in helps you. And the other part of that is the ability to context switch and just dive in, be unafraid, be curious. Those are probably the things I look for when I interview folks. I'm a super informal interviewer. I just want to have a conversation and talk about life and, and listen to how they venture through their stories and what they're doing and, and what they're choosing to explain to me. Because I think that tells me so much more about a person than some of, you know, the formalized questions. So I'm a little bit, like I said, an odd duck. <laughs> Certainly. Well, Jen, it's been a pleasure having you in the Get In The Mode podcast. Thank you for your time. Yeah, no problem.